podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, dear pod friends. The international break is finally over. Club action has kicked back into gear. And guess what kicks into gear this week? European competition. We caught up with Richard Pike to get you up to speed with match day one in the Champions League, Europa League and the Conference League. Let's get into it. The international break is behind us, and now it is time to firmly focus our gaze on club affairs. We are graced with Euro football expert Richard Pike to take a look at the runners and riders in the Champions League, Europa League and Conference League, which all kick into gear this week for the group stage, match day one. Bonanza, Richard, welcome to Euro Tales, my man. Tell us a bit about yourself and how you are such a connoisseur of European football, my friend. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on the show, Liam. Um, I'm very, very proud to be on Eurotales. Thank you very much for inviting me on the show. Um, yeah, and the, the love affair with um, European football kind of started when I was younger, when ITV had the Champions League in the UK, the rights for it, and then obviously Sky got it in 2003, and you got all the group games access to all that. And then gradually in the last few years, I've been you know watching the... Europa League and the Conference League more because um, I kind of like the the extra variety you get in those. So the free competitions are quite nice. You get the very elite at the top of European football and the Champions League and then you get the extra spice and variety in the Europa and the uh, Conference League, which we are quite like. It's great to see so many different countries represented. Um, yeah, we're an athletic supporter. Uh, second one on the show in about four or five weeks. So seems to be catching us, don't you, Liam? And um, and yeah, very proud and happy after our win against Cambridge yesterday. It was a good win for us to um, get back on track after two disappointing defeats before the international break. Beautiful, my friend. We'll start, my man. Thanks so much for coming on with the Champions League. What's your initial reaction to the draw, Richard? Well, yeah, there was a lot of reaction at the start, which, you know, I saw some things on Twitter where, you know, it was some things like, oh, you know, it's a bit of a dull draw there. Manchester City have got Leipzig again. But, you know, that's only one group. It must be stressed. You know, I would actually say many of the other groups have either elements of interest or a lot of interest in them. Um, the group of death without question is Group F. You know, four heavyweights in the Paris Saint-Germain, AC Milan, Borussia Dortmund and Newcastle United. Um, very much a welcome back to the big time for Newcastle United and the St. James's Park faithful on their first group stage appearance in European uh, club competition for 21 years. Their first time back in 21 years. And yeah, what a welcome back. A very tough task to get out this group. And it's made even hard by the fact that, you know, they had a few challenging results domestically in Newcastle, although they got that win yesterday against Brentford, which I think was very important, crucial to go into those tough Champions League midweeks on the back of a good win to, you know, alleviate a few of the fears. You know, seasons can derail quickly. So Eddie Howe his players, you know, they, they needed to rebound after the international break and they got that with that win against Brentford. I'd say, despite that poor result against Nice on um, Friday night, that I'd say PSG probably are favourites for this group. And I think they're probably the most likely to qualify from it due to their encouraging domestic start. But I would actually say second place and knockout qualifications wide open between the other three teams, I would say, in that group. 
As a watcher of the Dutch Eredivisie, I'm intrigued to see how both PSV Eindhoven and Final get along. I think both have chances to qualify from their groups. Uh, but equally, I'd say both could finish bottom and, and be out of Europe um, after Christmas. So um, it's a bit of a uh, live and die by the sword kind of thing. Um, I, th- I think PSG, PSV have probably actually been overlooked a little bit in their group, actually. You know, um, Sevilla have a good pedigree in the Europa League, but the results have not been good for a few years now in the Champions League. Plus, Lons have lost some key players this summer. Seco Fafana to Serdi Pro League and Lois Appenda to RB Leipzig being two such examples. So, yeah, I think PSV could qualify from that group. Um, they've lost a few key players, obviously. Um, uh, Sangare to Forest being the obvious example, but I think Shoot and Jordi Shooten being brought in is a good replacement, not quite on the same level, but, you know, somebody who can come in and fill in and do a job. He's got Serie A experience with Bologna. Malik Tillman had a good loan spell at Rangers last season. I, I like Sergio Dest on loan from Barcelona. He's an upgrade on Kenny Tazer at right back. They've started well under Peter Botts. They've been playing some nice fo- attacking football. They look like they're a good side to watch again. So, yeah, um, I'm, I'm quite excited about, about their chances. That's it. You said their group F, Richard, a dreaded group of death. And it's funny the way the football gods have worked. Newcastle making a trip to the famous hallowed ground of the San Siro to take on Milan, <laughs> who were absolutely belted by Inter in the derby over the weekend. 5-1, got smashed. So the Sandro Tonali derby, as we'll call it, with Newcastle <laughs> making the trip there. And it's amazing that a mixed bag of results for the teams, as you said, in this group F. PSG, Paris got sacked by Nice. It was a Terry Mophie wonder class. He absolutely destroyed PSG. It was amazing to watch. He single-handedly beat them. Like It was all PSG with their possession. But every time Mophie got it, they just couldn't handle it. Do you feel Newcastle... When you look at what Inter did to AC, will Newcastle fancy their chances here of getting a win to kick it off? Well, it's interesting how the narrative shifted now, isn't it? Newcastle went into the international break struggling and all, and Milan looked on fire and everything was hunky-dory with them. But now it's completely shifted after one game. And it, it kind of just shows you how quickly results can change. You know, and sometimes an international break can come at a good time or a bad time. It looked like it came at a good time for Newcastle and a bad time for Milan. So I think Newcastle have every chance. They can be competitive in this group. Like I said, it's one of those groups where I think PSG are probably the most likely to qualify. But I think the race for second will be very, very close between the other three sides in the group. So I certainly think Newcastle can go to the San Siro and they can win. Um, and yeah, the Tonali narrative adds a little bit of extra spice. I think it was a good signing by Newcastle. But I also think that the Milan used the Tonali transfer money very, very well and they put together a nice squad in the summer. So yeah, this group's going to be brilliant. I, I cannot wait. Um, I mean, I mean, Newcastle fans probably would have liked a more sedate possible route to the last 16 in the knockout rounds. But hey, if you're going to come back into the Champions League after 21 years, why not go big and have a good group right from the start? It, it, it gets the excitement juices flowing. But yes, I, I think Newcastle can qualify from this group. There's absolutely no reason why not. They played brilliantly well in the Premier League last season. So they have a chance and Milan will not be happy going into a big game like that on the back of such a, a crushing defeat to uh, two big rivals Inter. Speaking of another side who who had a rough weekend, Manchester United. What is your feel on them, Richard? That Brighton, it just looked like a routine win for them at Old Trafford, didn't it? They they seem to be in toward gear. 
the crazy thing, Liam, is that obviously this was one of those 3 p.m. games that we can't watch in the UK. But then again, I was at Wigan versus Cambridge anyway, so I wouldn't have seen it anyway. But um, yeah, watching the highlights from Match of the Day and watching all the talk on various podcasts and everything else in the build-up, does a result like that really surprise you anymore with Brighton? They are now a very crack outfit. They're a very well-put-together side under Roberto De Zerbi. They're playing some absolutely fantastic um, football yeah, that result didn't really surprise me. And, you know, Manchester United come into this Champions League campaign off the back of, you know, quite a lot of stuff going on domestically. The results in the league have not been convincing at all, even though wins against Wolves, not convincing, against Forest, not convincing. Um, I felt Arsenal deserved to beat them before the international break, as did Tottenham as well, based on the second half performance at the uh, Tottenham Stadium. There's such a malaise around Manchester United and Old Trafford at the moment. You know, I felt the summer transfer business was very rushed, very slow. It all seemed very panicked on the final bit, in the final bits of it. They've struggled to shift players in the summer. There's been all the talk of the sale of the club, which has not ended up going through. And I think that's also added an extra malaise. There's been all the off the field stuff that's been going on over the international break, the much publicised off the field stuff involving certain players. It, it's it's just such a mess at the moment, isn't it? And you know, it's. It's. I, I generally think this could be a group where they could struggle. I think Bayern Munich will win it. I don't have any doubts about Bayern's capacity to win this group. But Galatasaray have made some very, very interesting signings over the summer. Um, Hakim Ziyech, Wilfred Zaha, Mauro Riccardi, who seems to just score goals for fun there, you know, getting braces all the time, it seems. Uh, they've kept hold of Victor Nelson, the centre-back. They've added Angelino at left-back, so he's perfect for crosses into the box for, for a poacher like Icardi. Um, they've kept. They've got a pretty solid midfield. Lucas Torreira, Sergio Oliveira. So yeah, I think Antangi on Dombele as well has been added. So yeah, I think this could be a really tough task for Manchester United to go through. Suddenly, something that looked oh pretty routine, they'll go through in second place behind Bayern. Suddenly, now that trip to Istanbul, I think it's on match day two. I think it's going to be quite um, an interesting trip. So Manchester United have to be careful now. And you know, Copenhagen might even prove pretty tricky at home. You know, they qualify for Europe every year. They're quite experienced. I'd still just about back United to go through, but I think this is going to be closer than what the fans expect, especially considering the poor start that they've had. You know, it just seems like a very unhappy camp there at the moment. It's like you said, a symptom of this malaise at Manchester United is England's captain joining Bayern Munich and not signing for them, is it? Say two or three years back, you would think you're in dreamland saying Harry Kane will pick Bayern over Manchester United, but that's the world we find ourselves in. Another side who have been sort of haunted by um, spectacular money troubles would be Barcelona. What's your feeling on them, Richard? I think with Barcelona, this is... Well, last season they were very unfortunate, weren't they? They got put in a group with Inter Milan and Bayern Munich. I think, to be fair to Barcelona, there was mitigational circumstances last season. It was a transitional season. I didn't really expect them to win La Liga, but they won La Liga off the back of a very very good defensive uh, performance. You know, I think the... Their attacking play wasn't brilliant last season, but defensively they were rock solid and they just kept clean sheet after clean sheet, rolled off narrow wins and won La Liga. Um, So, to be fair, last season, yes, the, the, the Champions League group was tough. Um, they were pretty disappointing in the Europa League. I could, would have expected them to have done better than that, although the caveat is they ran into Manchester United in the, I think it was the round of 16, I think. So, or the, court, or the playoff round before the round of 16, one of those two. So, yeah, it, it was there was mitigating circumstances there. But, I mean, Barcelona really should be qualifying from um, from this group that they've got this season. You know, Porto, Shakhtar Donetsk and, um, and Royal Antwerp. I think that's a group which there's no real excuses for any failure this time round. You know, they have to they have to get through that group. They've made some decent signings. I think Joao Cancelo is a very good 
astute purchase um, for them this season. Um, Ilkay Gundogan, you know, good players to get. Um, experience, not the not the youngest, but you know, good, good cracks, solid players. And yeah, I think the quarterfinals have to be a target for Barcelona this season. I mean, I don't really expect them to win it, but at least the quarterfinals would show that they are making further progress in Europe under Xavi. And I think the Champions League draw gods have been very kind to them this time round. You know, there's absolutely zero excuse for not going through and not winning that group. Moving on to the Europa League, which of course offers that magnificent golden ticket to get into the Champions League. Now, we'll start, Richard, with two of the tournament's favourites, Liverpool and Leverkusen. Give us your inside track on those both sides. Well, yeah, when it comes to the Europa League, uh, Liam, I would definitely agree with you there. I would say that they are two of the favourites, uh, Liverpool and Bayer Leverkusen, and I think they'll be two of the sides most happy with their draw. I absolutely certainly believe that. From Liverpool's point of view, I think the main focus will be the lead this season. Uh, they will be looking at the sluggish starts by the likes of Manchester United and Chelsea in the league and they will think that a top four finish in Champions League football for next season is on the cards via league qualification. But that's not to say that the Europa League won't be important for Liverpool. Um, I've heard some talk they might rest a few players in this competition and use it primarily to blooding youngsters like Ben Doak. Um, but I don't think that will be completely the case. I still think this group is not the easiest. Last, Gunion, Saint-Gilwar and Toulouse, they're not the absolute peak elite sides, but they are still competitive and throwing youngsters in en masse, I don't think will be beneficial. I think if they are going to throw a few youngsters in, they'll do it in stages. They'll probably mix it between first-team players, some fringe players and a few youngsters, Liverpool, and I think that will probably be enough to get them through this group and crucially give some fringe players some minutes and the odd talented youngster some 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 good experience there. So, yeah, I think Liverpool will mix it up a little bit. Um, and, yeah, from Liverpool's point of view, winning this competition... Winning the group gives them an opportunity to depart European competition till March because they get the bye to the round of 16. And once that round of 16 tie comes around, Liverpool, I think, will be well-placed. Nine enough guaranteed a top-four finish in the Premier League because at the moment you're probably looking at City to win the league again in, in England. And then probably Liverpool and Arsenal in second and third in some one of those orders. So I think Liverpool will be very comfortably installed in the top four, but not really able to chase Manchester City down. So that actually leaves them with a really good competition to do well, position to do well in the cup competitions. And then they take on extra importance in the round of 16 only takes place in March. So yeah, I think they can assess their season at that particular point. Um, and yeah, winning the Europa League, as you said, Liam, gives you top seeding in the Champions League draw. I, I think that might be changing because it's going to the, the new league system format for next season. I'll have to double check. I'm not fully sure on that. But still, yes, winning the Europa League gets coefficient points and it might even get you a top ranking anyway. So, yeah, it's definitely something for Liverpool to target because I think they are going to come in the top four but not dethrone City. So the cup competition is extra important. That's it. As an Aston Villa fan, Richard, that was uh, always a dream. We used to say, why don't we target the FA Cup, get into the Europa League, that's the easiest way to get to the Champions League. You know, I don't know why more teams didn't try and pilot that route. Another storyline and connection with Liverpool, of course, is Leverkusen, managed by former Liverpool legend Xabi Alonso. What is your feelers telling you about Bayern Leverkusen in the Europa League? Well, I think they've got an even nicer group than Liverpool. I really think they could not have um, plucked that group any more nice had they tried. You know, BK Hecken, uh, Mulder and Karabag, I think those are three sides Leverkusen should beat. Um, and there's every chance they could get 15 or 18 points in this group. I, I, I don't see any reason why not. Um, they made a very good start to the club season under Xavi Alonso. 
And I really think this season is his audition to stake his case for a big club in 2024-25. reason I say this is obviously because Carlo Angelotti is widely reported to be leaving Real Madrid to coach the Brazilian national team at the end of his contract next summer. I think Alonso's pass as a Real Madrid player appeals to the hierarchy at the Santiago Bernabeu. And, you know, it's, it's interesting at Real Madrid because you used to got the atmosphere there that it was all chaotic, frequent changes of managers. But actually, it's been quite... I think the last time they sacked a manager was actually Julian Lopetegui in 2018 after the World Cup in, in 2018. So it's actually been quite calm and quite relaxed over the last five, six years in in Madrid. You know, Florentino Perez is not as trigger-happy as what he was before, although obviously things can change briefly. They've had a lot of success in that period, which has probably contributed towards that. But it does seem, yeah, more a more relaxed environment than what it's been in the past. And I think Alonso's spell as a past Real Madrid player will give him that, that time as well. Um, and I also think the reason why um, Real Madrid might go for Alonso next summer is because they'll obviously be keeping an eye on events at Liverpool and Manchester City because Pep's already announced in 2025 he's probably going to be leaving Manchester City and I can't really blame him after eight years and Klopp may well even leave Liverpool then after nine years so no, that would be 10 years nearly 10 years actually with Klopp so in 2025 so I think yeah Real Madrid might want to steal a march on um, by Leverkusen sorry Real Madrid might want to steal a march on both um Liverpool and Manchester City and steal in and get their Alonso because they might also want to stop another talented coach draining towards the Premier League. And in Alonso, yeah, I've been really impressed with the way they played against Bayern Munich on Friday night. I watched that game. I was out with my parents. I missed it live, but I recorded it and watched it when I got back in. And yeah, I was really impressed with the way they played. And I think on the second half performance, I think a point was merited from them. I thought they played very well, probably lacking a little bit in that final third on occasion, that little bit of sharpness. But it, some of the build-up play and transition was very good. Um, I think Alex Grimaldo dealt with um, Leroy Sané really well with some good one-on-one tackles. He scored an absolute brilliantly brilliant taken free kick. They've upgraded their squad quite nicely in the summer. I really like the look of Victor Boniface. Yeah, I think Bayer Leverkusen will be well positioned. And again, if they can win this group, get the bye to the round of 16, come March, part European football till then, they should be well placed for a top four Bundesliga finish. And then, yeah, let's see how it goes from there. Um, but yeah, they're definitely one of the favourites for the competition this season. And where else intrigues you, Richard, in this year's Europa League? Well, Group B, for starters, I think if Group F gets the juices flowing in the Champions League draw, I think Group B definitely gets it in the Europa League draw. You know, um, Olympic Marseille, Brighton and Hove Albion, AK Athens and uh, Ajax Amsterdam. Now, Ajax have made a very difficult start in the Eredivisie under new manager Maurice Stein. Um, there's already pressure on him. They've, they've not looked convincing so far. Only one win and two draws from the game so far. Obviously, they play later today, so that might change. This is obviously at the time of recording, one win and two draws only. But yeah, they, they, they've struggled so far. Ajax, you know, judging from some of the people I talked to, they've, they've not looked particularly convincing. That's not an easy group. Um, Brighton are well positioned in the Premier League so far. They've made a good start under Roberto Di Zerbi, but there's obviously a question mark about they didn't have this last season with juggling domestic games and then Premier League, um, domestic games at the weekend and then midweek games in the in the Europa League and then coming on a Thursday-Sunday schedule, if you like. That will be quite an interesting challenge for Brighton to see how they get along with that. Um, Ike Athens, Greek champions, again, had a decent little spell in Champions League qualifying. You know, lost a pretty tight game, it looked like, against Royal Antwerp. And then Marseille, who I think it's a big year for the French clubs in Europe. They desperately need some coefficient points. The Netherlands has overtaken them for fifth place anyway, and that was a really bad loss for Marseille. There was really no excuse to lose to... Panathinaikos in Champions League qualifying. They had a much bigger budget than them, much better players, and they just choked and, and blew it, really, in that second leg. So they, they need to 
have a good season here. And there's absolutely no reason why they shouldn't. They've got good players. They've got an experienced coach in Marcelino. So again, that group's quite interesting. One good side is going to miss European football, whether it be in the Europa League or in the Conference League after Christmas. So that adds some uh, extra excitement to that. And don't also rule out um, Group A as well. I think that, that West Ham, Freiburg, Olympiakos group is good because I think all three of those sides are much better than TSC, uh, Batschka, Topola, the, the Serbian side who surprised everybody by finishing second in the league last season. Olympiakos, yeah, they could be quite an interesting little spoiler because everyone's probably expecting West Ham and um, Freiburg to be the top two in that group. But, you know, they brought in Diego Martinez, has arrived in Piraeus, who, you know, had a really good reputation in La Liga a few years ago, got Granada into Europe, got into the quarterfinals of the Europa League. He had a little bit of a difficult spell at Espanyol last season, but, you know, one bad job shouldn't write him off completely yet. And yeah, they've, their summer transfer recruitment has been interesting. Olympiacos, two Argentine players brought in for decent-sized fees. Francisco Ortega from Vélez-Sars, feeling he's a left-back. And Santiago Hesse from Huracan, he's a central midfielder. They've got the links between them and Nottingham Forest, with Evangelos Marinakis being the owner. So yeah, they've got some players on loan from Forest who didn't get much of a look in last season, like Omar Richards and Gustavo Scarpa. And finally, Daniel Podentz returning on loan from Wolves. That's a very... Intriguing transfer, one I'm really looking forward to seeing there. So, yeah, I think that group's also quite interesting because I think all three of those clubs will get Europe in some form after Christmas, but just in which order? Could Olympiacos prove a, an irritating spoiler for both Freiburg and West Ham? An unknown quantity. And we move on, lastly, Richard, to the Conference League. What storylines and delights await us, my friend? Well, obviously, you're an Aston Villa fan, Liam, and I think that's a really fascinating group that they're in. Uh, I think it's one that they will have taken. I also think it's ideal for Villa in the sense that you want, I think, one of the teams in the group to be quite a challenge. Someone who you should beat, I think, on paper, but also someone who can give you a good game and two close matchups and give the players, you know, early doors, some intensity. And I think in Aza Altmar that will happen. I still think Villa will win the group. I think they'll be happy with that draw, but I think they'll be happy as well to get AZ because... They're a team that's on the up. They're playing some good football. They did well in the Europa Conference League last season. Um, and it's a nice little test early doors. I don't think Lady Warsaw and um, and Zrinki Mostar will prove too much of a challenge. I think there's two pretty decent away trips there for Aston Villa. I've been to Mostar myself. Never been to Poland, mine. But there's two pretty nice away trips there for, for Villa supporters. And yeah, Alkmaar, I think, will be a test. But I think one that Villa should overcome. And like I said, alongside Frankfurt and Lille, I think that those three clubs definitely look like the three favourites if you were asking me right now. Maybe Fiorentina as well, but I think Lille, Frankfurt and Villa look like three good favourites this competition. Unai Emery has a great reputation in, in European competition with three straight Europa League wins with Sevilla or Europa League win with Villarreal as well. Um, and I think the Cups are important for Villa. I mean, a lot, I saw a lot of talk about Villa potentially finishing top four, but I think that defeat against Liverpool before the international break still showed you that the next step for Villa is the hardest one to take. They're one of those sides who have the potential to break through, but the breakthrough is really hard with the elite clubs. And I think that game against uh, Liverpool showed it. But there's still nothing to be despair about. I still think Villa are well-placed to at least match the seventh place last season. And the cup competitions, especially I think the League Cup and the Europa Conference League are, are two that Villa, I definitely think, will look to target. You know, I think Emery's forte... He's probably more of a cup manager, I would probably say, than a league-winning manager. I think that's probably a fair assessment. But then again, I think, you know... The cup competitions for Villa, I think, will prove quite fruitful if, if they take them seriously. The recruitment this summer has been very, very solid. It, it just looks a good place at the moment. Aston Villa, you know, Moussa Diaby, Pau Torres. This looks a very smartly put-together side. Key players have been retained. Deadwood has been shifted. Yeah, 
I, I'm pretty confident and on Villa's chances. They'll be right in the mix at the end. <laughs> you're on the money, dear mate, with that uh, Liverpool loss we had at Anfield before the international break. It was almost like um, a sliding doors moment. When we went to Anfield last year, we went with a very defensive structure. We man-marked Trent and uh, Alexander-Arnold. We pinpointed him as their playmaker. This year, we rocked up to Anfield. And I won't lie, I was one of them Villa fans. We thought we can go toe-to-toe with these guys on their <laughs> own pitch and we can beat them. We all thought we were going to beat them and we got whacked <laughs> and we run out of Anfield my friend with our tails between our legs but a little bump back down to reality it does us good my villa friends they're all off to Poland this week for the week they're gonna have a great time but a lot of my villa peers are very intrigued by AZ will Alkmaar fancy their chances in this group I think they will. You know, they they are a solid side. You know, last season it is worth stressing before they beat West Ham that sorry they lost to West Ham. Sorry that they did beat Lazio home and away in the Conference League round of sixteen. And I was surprised at that result. I was not expecting that to happen. You know, Lazio a good side under Maurizio Sarri. Obviously, they've lost a couple of key players in the summer. They've lost uh, Pavlidis, the striker. Uh, uh, oh no, I think he's. Am I getting mixed up with someone? I am probably getting mixed up. With. It's the Utrecht Greek striker who left. Yes, sorry, that's that's my mistake. But they lost Milos Kerkes in the in the summer. Um, but yeah, they're they're definitely a side to watch. They're definitely an up and coming side. They won the um, UEFA Youth League last season for under 19s sides in Europe. I think they beat Barcelona in that in the route to the final of that. They're definitely a side to watch. I mean, I do think, still think Villa will beat them home and away. I think it will be too games which could be quite interesting though you know if Villa are perhaps slightly below par and AZ play well maybe in the away leg in the Netherlands maybe AZ could nick a point so Villa will have to be on their guard I do think that they will beat them home and away but they I think those two sides should still progress and you know AZ are probably I would probably put AZ in the batch of teams below that Villa Lille and Frankfurt axes they're probably that next step just below and there's a batch of teams just below that but they could be quite dangerous for Villa they'll have to be on their guard in that game even though I still think Villa will get the job done in both the games against them. And you mentioned Lille and Eintracht Frankfurt. How impressed are you with Pablo Fonseca at Lille? Yeah, he's, he's been one of those coaches who I think's been talked about for a good few years. Um, and okay, he didn't get the trophy at, Lille, uh, at Roma. But, you know, I think he did a good solid job there beforehand. He did a good solid job at Shakhtar before that as well. And I think you know, he got Lille to the top five last season in Ligue 1. Uh, and Pacosi Ferreira, I think he took them to the Champions League qualification rounds way before then. So, yeah, he's he's had about a decade now of decent, solid jobs, decent, solid performances, and, and his work has been appreciated. And I think Lille is a, a, probably the winners of the whole Conference League group stage draw. I think they've got a very nice group. Um, Kai Klasvik, Olympia, Ljubljana, and Slovan Bratislava. Yeah, the, that's a group which... You know, French clubs are under pressure in Europe and that's just a dream draw if you're under pressure in Europe to get points. You need that kind of draw. And I fully expect Lille probably to even go six and six wins out of six from that group. Um, they really ought to win it. There's no real excuses not to. I'm absolutely quite stunned that Jonathan David is still a Lille player, especially with his goal-scoring record in Ligue 1. I'm absolutely astonished nobody has picked him up, um, especially considering, you know, Premier League clubs love to scout in Ligue 1, bring in Ligue 1 players all the time. Now it's a very strong market for them. So, yeah, him still being there is a big positive for Lille. 
Um, and then speaking, just to go briefly on a tangent on this group, KI Classic, it's an astonishing achievement for a Furries team to qualify for UEFA club competition group stage. And given this draw, it's not actually that far-fetched to suggest they could actually finish second in this group. I mean, obviously, they beat Hacken in qualifying. They gave Molder a good game. They narrowly lost in Champions League for a qualifying round. They narrowly lost to Sheriff Tiraspol in the playoff round of the, Conf- of the Europa League. So, OK, yeah, one of those groups where if Lille clean up and win all the games, the rest of the games between the other teams in the group actually become really competitive. And, you know, Olympia Ljubljana and Slovan Bratislava, they don't strike me as being a million miles better than the likes of Mulder or Hacken. So, yeah, I think KR Classic could even have an astonishing chance. They'll have to play well, obviously, but they might even have a chance of finishing second in this group. Obviously, I'm awaiting this to be shot down in flames and to lose 3-0 away in Bratislava. But, you know, you just never know. They might have a chance, but they're going to have to replicate their performances from the early Champions League qualifying rounds. But no one will fancy going to Torshav and the Faroe Islands in November. That will be one hell of a cold trip. And it's funny you mentioned destinations. If I'm a tourist... Aberdeen seems to have got the best draw of the lot, isn't it? Germany, Greece, Finland. What, what magnificent destinations await them. What's your feel <laughs> on that group with Frankfurt, uh, Bill of Greece and Aberdeen and Helsinki? How do you think Aberdeen will fare in that group? My prospects for them, based on their start in the Scottish Premiership this season, have probably dropped a bit. They weren't particularly great before the draw because I know Powerco are a very experienced side in European competition. They qualify frequently and obviously Frankfurt Europa League winners from just two seasons ago. So that was a tough draw beforehand. They've had a difficult start domestically. I don't expect them to get through, but just try and be competitive in one of the games against Powok. Try and be competitive. Try and win the two games against HJK Helsinki. And just see what happens. It's mainly just about getting coefficient points for the non-old firm Scottish sides. There's still a big gap in um between them and Rangers and Celtic. And obviously that shows in the European competitions too. You only have to look at the way Villa just swatted Hibs aside in, in both rounds. You know, there's still a big gap. And I think with Aberdeen, it's just quite simply a case that they've just got to try and be as competitive as they can in this group, try and make their home ground the fortress, try and win some games there. But yeah, I don't really hold up any hope for them qualifying. I think Powock potentially could give Frankfurt a run for the money for top spot if they play well. They've maybe beat them in Greece. They've got Razvan Luchescu, who's obviously son of the legendary Mercia Luchescu, in charge. He's he's had two good spells in charge now there. Suhaili Omete has arrived on loan from Benfica at them. He was pretty good a few years ago at Torino in Serie A when they finished seventh and qualified for, for Europe. They've got Marcos Antonio on loan from Lazio, who was, you know, a promising young Brazilian player, one of several at Shakhtar down the years. And he went to Lazio, didn't really seem to work out for him. Now he's gone on loan to Greece. So that I'm intrigued to see how that works out. And also Kirill Despadov getting a second chance in, in European football outside of Bulgaria with um, with Powok too, after moving from Ludogorets. So yeah, Powok, they seem to have had a good year, bad year cycle in the Conference League so far. They've been in it three years on the dot. They had a good year in the first year. They reached the quarterfinals and give Marseille a decent game before losing. And then last year they lost to, I think it was Levski Sofia in the um, second qualification round, so at the very first stage. So it's been a good year, bad year cycle so far. So this might be another one of their good years. So, yeah, I'm intrigued to see how they might get on against um, against Frankfurt in this group. I do expect Frankfurt to win it, but you never know. They might be able to give them a decent run for the money. Life after Colo Moani for Frankfurt. He went on strike to force that move to PSG. Not like a Frenchman to go on strike, of course. And what about the Turkish challengers, Richard, my friend, who have been very active in this summer's transfer window? 
Well, there was a brilliant piece, Liam, on the Athletic on the Turkish transfer window. And yes, it's been a very busy uh, window there. Um, and yeah, this this group with Fenerbahce in Group H is a group of intrigue. You know, Turkish sides have had a good productive season in European competitions so far. Whether they will stay as one of the top two coefficient ranked sides and get an extra place in Europe next season, I doubt it when the big boys from the Premier League, La Liga, Serie A, etc. get involved. But nonetheless, they've still had a good coefficient points haul so far this season. Only Adana Demir Spore of the four sides didn't make the group stages, but they were an unseeded team in all three qualifying rounds they faced and they were actually quite unlucky in the end to lose to Genk on penalties um, but yeah this season's Turkish Super League I think it will be quite a competitive race between Istanbul's traditional big three clubs of Fenerbahce, Besiktas and Galatasaray Europe can obviously sometimes act as a distraction for those clubs but I do think Fenerbahce will be delighted with their draw in the Conference League you know they're in a group with Luda Goretz, Spartak Ternava from Slovakia and Nordjylland from Denmark I'd expect that's a group that Ismail Cartel's men should qualify from easily. Um, at minimum as runners-up, but probably even as group winners too. That's what they will be targeting. They want the bye to the round of 16. Yeah, just an amazing summer on the transfer front for Fener, just like their Istanbul rivals. You know, with Galatasaray, Reju, Mauro Riccardi, Fenerbahce respond back with Eden Dzeko. Um, central defensive pairing of Alexander Jiku did well in Liga for Strasbourg for a number of years and Rodrigo Becao at Udinese they're two examples of players who impressed you at you might say middling Liga and Serie A clubs and now they both go on to a club okay in a lower ranked league but one where you will fight for trophies you'll play for Europe a lot more free, you play in Europe a lot more frequently and you know you can maybe enjoy a run at the Conference League uh, Fred's obviously arrived with something to prove from Manchester United I saw Cengiz under from Marseille Getting Dusan Tadic was certainly a coup from Ajax. I was absolutely stunned when he was announced he was leaving Ajax. And, you know, it looks like it's the correct call given their difficulties so far this season as well. So, yeah, I put Fenerbahce in that bracket of sides below your Lille's, Frankfurt's and Villa's in terms of pecking order. Brasictus's group is quite interesting. I think that, um, obviously, Club Brugge and I think it's Bodo Glimt will be two challenges. They're going to have to um, play well to progress from that because Club Brugge have had a good start domestically. And Bodo Glimt, yes, they lose players, but the manager's still there, the structure's still there. They will be a, a difficult side to crack. So um, looking forward to seeing how they do. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's in, in at Besiktas too. Uh, they've still got Vincent Abubakar, who probably the lesser of the three lights in terms of the, the forwards at the Istanbul clubs, but he's still a very handy player, as he's shown for many years at the likes of Porto with the Cameroon national team. So yeah, this could be a really interesting year for Turkish clubs, one where they could get a good coefficient points haul and um, put some um, foundations in place um, going forward. Thank you so much, Richard, for your time. We can't wait to have you on again. Your knowledge is amazing, my friend. Where can our listeners hear more from you, buddy? Well, once again, Liam, I'd just like to say a huge thank you to having me on. Um, very appreciate that and looking forward to listening back to this and catching up on some of the Eurotales um, pods and previous episodes in the next couple of weeks. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at RichDPike89, at RichDPike89. I also do a newsletter, uh, Beyond the Big Five newsletter, obviously Big Five Leagues. It deals with stories beyond those leagues, and you can find that on Substack. And There'll be a new edition coming out soon, which you can subscribe for. Um, just drop your email into the subscribe feature on it, and you can find me on there. And yeah, I'm always moping around Twitter on European nights. You'll find me tweeting, you'll find me tweeting after the games. So yeah, feel free, any interactions, more than happy to answer questions, more than happy to have a debate. So yeah, that's where you'll find me. Thank you, brother. Listeners, all the links to Richard's fantastic outlets will be in the show notes. 
You're listening to Eurotales, where European football stories are explored one at a time. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much to Richard. We have you covered for Match Day 1, the Champions League, Europa League and Conference League. Again, the link to Richard's fantastic newsletter is in the show notes. That is all we have time for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the midweek European action and have a great week. Thanks for listening. Don't miss us between episodes. Simply follow our socials, links in the show notes, or simply search at EuroTalesPod on Twitter. EuroTales. Podcast Network.